0: Well, good morning, Northridge Church. Uh, Awesome, man, It's, it's so glad. Thank you. Man, I'm I'm so glad to be with you guys today. My name is Chris Crutchley, and I am the uh, Brighton campus pastor. And so if you are new to Northridge, we are one church in four locations. So Celine, Grosil, and all of my people out in Brighton, uh, thanks for joining us. If you are watching online, thanks for joining us there also. Man, it's so cool that we have people watching from around the world today. Man, I am so honored to be with you here today. In fact, this morning, um, I realized that I had become famous uh, one of the little guys who just sang to you as I was walking onto the stage said, "Hey, I saw you on my computer last night," and I was like, "I've done it! I've reached it! Uh, it was awesome!" So, really, what a special day it is! Happy Mother's Day! We are we are honored that you are here. And so, when Brad asked me to teach today, I mean, I immediately knew the topic that I wanted to share with you, and it was a truth that I learned in my life about 14 years ago. It began to become real and. It was 14 years ago that I realized that I had believed something. And this belief was that the girl that I was dating, she was the one, the one that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with, the one that I wanted to marry. And because of this belief, I needed to begin acting on some things. I needed to go buy a ring. I needed to go talk to her parents and ask permission to ask their daughter, could I marry them? And then I need to do the thing that has to be done, I need to propose. You know, you can't just drop to a knee, guys, when it's time to propose. You can't just, you know, say, well, you marry me. You, you got you to put some heart and some effort and some creativity into it. You got to plan. You got you to gotta show her that, man, she's the one and you love her the most. And so I remember, you know, a couple weeks into the planning, I had some friends involved. And I remember the day came when it was, it was the day I'm going to ask my now wife, Jamie, to marry me. And we had already had plans for that day. We were gonna go to this event that was happening. It was an evening. We were gonna meet out with some friends and it was like a Christian concert type thing. And I remember like in her mind, she believed we were doing that, but I knew the truth. I was going to throw off our plans. I'm gonna propose. And so we get in the car and we're, we're getting ready to head out. And I asked her like her, this question, would you mind if I change our plans just a little bit? Do you mind if on our way, if I swing by this, this scenic route my parents swim about, and I take you to this place where we watch the sunset, and then we'll go to that event. She's like, yeah, sure, no big deal, Chris, that's fine, wonderful. I said, well, hey, I I don't want you to see it before we get there, so would you mind putting on a blindfold? (laughs) That's not awkward. And she agreed, you know, like, I promise I was not kidnapping her for anyone who saw her in the car with a blindfold on. Um, So she puts the blindfold on, and we're driving and I immediately, what I, what I need to do is I need to, I need her to lose her sense of direction. And this is our hometown. She knows the direction we should be going. And so I get her the blindfold on and I immediately pull into a parking lot and make like 30 different turns. <laughs> she is confused. She has no clue where we're going. And so what I'm doing is I then route us back to this church and this church is the church that we both went to. And I knew that this would be the church that we're going to get married at. And so I pull in the church parking lot, I walk her into the church, um, into the back doors, and I place her at the center aisle in the back of the church. If you can imagine the center aisle, she was in the back, and I walk to the front, and now all of our friends are in the balcony. And my friends that were here had already placed like rose petals down the center aisle. And I asked her to remove her blindfold and she realizes that she's standing in the church that we're eventually gonna one day get married in. And I asked her to walk down that aisle that she will walk down. And that's where I dropped the knee and tell her how much I love her, how much she means to me and that I wanna spend the rest of my life with her. And guess what? She said, yes, like the greatest day of my life. Woo, yeah, right, you know, so it was, it was awesome. Uh, We celebrate 13 years of marriage this August, and man, what a fun ride it's been. But it was right after this experience that I began to realize there was this truth going on in my life that I needed to embrace. And by embracing it, it literally changed the trajectory of my life, and I believe it can, yours too, and it's this. Belief leads to action. Make sure you hear that today. Belief always leads to action, because I believed she was the one it led me to propose to her. Uh, For a lot of you in the room today, you had this belief that your mom is the best mom on the planet. And because you believe that, you acted. You bought her some flowers or some chocolates or a small gift. Maybe you're taking her to lunch or even to dinner tonight. Like, You did this thing because you believe she's the best mom ever. And if, if you haven't acted, you still have time. You can get that done today. Swing by Myers when you leave, okay? Do something. Um, Belief always leads to action. Listen, not only is that true today, but it's been true across history. History has taught us over and over again that belief leads to action. Think about it this way. There once was this belief that a ship was built. And this ship was the best ship of all time. In fact, it was believed to be unsinkable you know this ship to be the Titanic. You know, because of this belief that this ship was the best there was and that it was unsinkable, the action that was made was that it would only put enough lifeboats on this ship for half of the ship's capacity. So on its maiden voyage, early one morning, when this ship were to, were to collide with a, a iceberg and meet its demise and begin sinking, there would only be enough lifeboats for 1,100 of the 2,200 people on board. You know, belief always leads to action. And it was this truth that actually became a litmus test for my life. I began to line things up, you know, like if I say I believe this, does my action support it? You know, is do you, can you see that my action supports my belief? And uh, this truth really began to kind of reign in on one special area of my life that I want to share with you guys today. And it was this. Um, I began to see an issue with my belief lining up with my action when it came to sharing my faith. You know, I believed John 14, 6. Jesus says in the book of John that he is the way, the truth. In the life, no one comes to the Father except through Him. Like Jesus acknowledges this, and I believed it. And if you believe this is true, uh, the action would be to share this with everyone you know. Listen, there's only one way to God, it's through Jesus. And by believing this, you also believe that apart from relationship with Jesus, there is no access to God, which means you will spend your life here on earth separated from God and even in an eternity separated from God. And I remember thinking, I don't like that. I want them to know Jesus, but my actions weren't supporting my belief. I did not know how to share my faith for anything. Now I feel like maybe some of you here today, maybe you're in the same boat. Maybe for you it was, you know, fear. Fear of, man, if I say what I believe to my friends, it's going to make our relationship different. Maybe it's going to make it awkward. Or maybe the place that you work, maybe you're, you're not allowed to share what you, your faith is. Or, or maybe you don't share your faith because you feel you don't know enough about the Bible. Maybe you don't know enough of what to say. But regardless of the reason, I do feel there's, there's a lot of us that our belief and action don't line up. And so today I wanna to address this whole topic of evangelism. Now, when I say that word, like that kind of brings in baggage, like, oh gosh, evangelism. You know, like As a kid, I was trained in how to share my faith. I went through classes and learned scripts and memorized Bible verses so that I could knock on your door, this random stranger, and I would knock on their door and hopefully they would answer, you know, and if they answered, I would start off this conversation with this stranger by saying this, if you were to die today, do you know where you would spend eternity? That's a great thing first impression question you know like you want to meet someone new ask them that question I mean they would look at you with this dumbfounded response of like who are you Uh, you know I'm a high school kid learning this stuff you know if they didn't answer that question I would follow it up with a second one just to get conversation started you know if you were to die today and stand before God and he were to say why should I let you into heaven what would you say the answer was usually get off my front porch (laughs) you know I'm like This is what I was trained, but it wasn't working. And so how do we share our faith in an ever-changing culture? And I want to share that with you guys today because I truly believe that our belief should lead and always will lead to action. And so we're going to jump into the book of Mark today. And there's an event that happens that I want to walk you through. And in this event, there are four men. And these four men have a strong belief, and their belief leads them to action. Their belief is that they have a friend who needs Jesus and I want to walk you through their story and what they do. And listen, as we walk through, I'm going to pull out three points, three beliefs that they have that lead to action in this ultimate goal of getting this man to Jesus. And so, if you would, join me. Book of Mark, you can read on the screens. We're going to be in chapter two. If you are new with us, the book of Mark is in the New Testament, the Bible. So, it's the second portion. There's old and new. And it's the second book of the Bible. There's Matthew, and then there's Mark. We'll be at chapter two, starting in verse one. It says this. And when he returned, this is speaking of Jesus, to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. He was preaching the word to them. So why is this house so crowded? Why is it so packed? Let me tell you. So Jesus, in the weeks and months leading up to him coming home to Capernaum, had been doing some incredible things. In fact, Jesus' ministry began as he he walked up to this guy named John the Baptist and asked him to baptize him. Now, Jesus, before he gets baptized, um, Jesus and all those witnessing this hear a voice come from the heavens. It's God speaking. And just for a minute, imagine with me what you would do if you heard, if all of us heard God begin to speak. First of all, we would stop and listen. And then we would tell everybody that we knew what we'd heard. So God speaks and says, this is my son, speaking of Jesus, whom I'm well pleased. Everyone in the audience, everyone in attendance witnessed God speaking. And they begin to tell people, oh my gosh, I heard God speak. And he said, this guy is his son. You know, so they begin sharing. Well, Jesus' ministry begins. He starts going around and he begins healing people. Like, People who have leprosy, which is like the the disease that no one wants, that no one wants to get near. He walks up to them, touches them, and they're healed. People are witnessing this. And when they witness this, whoa, they begin telling everyone they know. People who, uh, the Bible says, maybe had unclean spirits or demons would be a word we'd use. Jesus would remove these from them. And like these people were completely different people. Like something changed. People witnessed this. And everyone's talking about what Jesus has done. Like if this were to happen in our culture today, Jesus would be trending on Twitter. It would be something like this, um, hashtag OMG, uh, hashtag you've got to see this, uh, hashtag Jesus heals. Like it would be trending because everyone was talking about it. Everyone who witnessed it was telling people. And so when Jesus comes home to Capernaum, probably in the house of Peter, one of his disciples, like people flock. To this location, they want to meet this man who's been doing this stuff. They want to know and hear from him. So the house is absolutely packed. There's no room. In verse three, it says this, and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. So these four men approach Jesus's house or or the house he's teaching in, and they're bringing with them a paralytic. They're carrying him. And and sometimes when we read God's word, we We sometimes just read past things without slowing down to remember that this is a different cultural context. Like, it's said that these four men carried him. They didn't call Uber. They didn't call an ambulance. They didn't get in their car. No, they actually went to where this man was. They found the bed that he would lay on, which would look something like this. And they said, hey, you're going with us. They picked him up. And they literally carried him. Now, for these guys to have done this in this culture would have meant they'd probably had to sacrifice going to work that day, which would have been a day's worth of wages. They would have sacrificed that and they would have had to commit to carrying him in the heat of the day and and getting him to Jesus. This was a, 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 hey, listen, we're gonna do this, a promise they made to him. And, And the question I would ask is, why would they do such a thing? Why would they do this for him? And the first point I want to bring to you today is that these men believed what they had heard. They had believed what they'd heard about Jesus. Like they had, Jesus had been doing things, miraculous things, and man, they knew, gosh, he's capable. We, we believe this, and I would ask you today this question. What have you heard about Jesus? Better yet, ask this question. What have you heard that's been so life impactful that you can't help but tell everyone you know? You know, the Bible teaches us that we still to this day, though Jesus is not walking on this earth, we can hear from him. In fact, it says it this way. Um, in the New Testament, it says in Romans ten seventeen, it says that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the words of Christ. We can still hear, of what Jesus did and is capable of doing when we engage and read God's word. Now these four men, there's something interesting about what they've done here. They make this unique connection that I think is very important for us today. You know, they had heard of what Jesus was doing. Not only did they believe it, but what they had heard was actually not from th- for them they made this connection that what they had heard about Jesus and what he was doing was actually for someone they knew. You know, they knew this man who had been living a life um, sitting probably on this bed, maybe at a place for all day in the heat. And what he would probably do all day long was beg for money. He couldn't work. He couldn't provide an income to buy food. So these, these four, friends, these four men, they knew someone who needed what they had heard about. I wonder how many people we pass by every day who who are like this man. Maybe they're not paralyzed, but maybe they have a similar circumstance. Maybe they've come to the belief that this is just how life is going to be. Maybe they have no hope for anything different. They believe that this is just the, the cards that life dealt them, and this is just what I've got. I can't change anything. I just keep living. I just keep existing, the same, existing in the same mundane life. How many people do we pass by who are like this man, and what he needed was somebody to believe for them? who are you believing in what Jesus can do for? I wonder how many of you might be here today and maybe you're in the same situation as this man. Maybe you have lost hope. Maybe you believe that this is just the way life is and that it can't get any better and you have no hope for a better day. Maybe you have a need, and what you've been longing for is for someone to carry you to Jesus, and I want you to know that you are in the right place today. You are not here by coincidence. You are at a church full of people who want to help carry you to Jesus, and I tell you this, at the end of today's service, you have an opportunity to come forward and meet with a team of people who will line this front of the stage, and they will be willing to walk with you. They'll be willing to pray with you and to help you on this journey of experiencing a God who wants to be present, who wants to meet your need and wants to be in your life. And so I would, I would tell you this at the end of today's service, if you feel like you're here and you feel like, man, I just, I need someone to carry me to Jesus. I would ask you to walk forward at the end of the service and let someone pray with you and talk with you. And so the first thing that these guys did was they believed what they heard. But it was more than just one thing. I mean, they believed multiple things. They, the next thing they do is they, they believed that it couldn't be done alone. I mean, these four guys had to all play a part in getting this man to Jesus. And I'm sure one of them maybe had the idea. And then one of them had, one of them said, hey, you know what, I think, I think Jesus could do something. Oh yeah, that's a, that's a good idea. I think, I think maybe, we should, maybe we should get a couple other people together and maybe we should carry him. Oh, that's a great idea. Let's, let's do it on this day. Like, it, it took them all playing their part to get this man to Jesus. We all have to play our part. It says this, God is speaking and he's teaching us throughout scripture that there's this idea that, man, we weren't meant to do life alone. He says it in Genesis two eighteen. Then the Lord God said, man, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. God speaking says, man, it's just not good for you to be alone. In Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10, it says this, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift his fellow up. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Also, if two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. We weren't meant to go at life alone. And understanding this truth also impacts our ability to share our faith with others. It wasn't meant to be a one-man job. We are all meant to play a part in telling someone our faith and what we believe and sharing with them the hope of Jesus. Uh, Jesus actually said in Mark 6, 7, He says, calling the 12 to him. He's speaking of his disciples. He brings them to him and he begins to send them out two by two. And he gave them authority over impure spirits. Man, he, he realized, listen, Jesus is teaching. I, I'm sending you out in a team effort. I want you to go about this together, not alone. I would wonder if any of you have ever tried to play hide and seek by yourself. Can you imagine being the hider with no seekers? You win because you're going to be hiding forever. Uh, you know, in Atlanta where I'm from, it's already summer. I don't know what what uh, uh, season we're in here in Michigan. Um, I'm sure in a few years, I'll figure that out. But in Atlanta, where the pools are open and people are swimming in their pools, we play this game called Marco Polo, which hopefully you've played that. If you haven't, I'll teach you after the service. But if you call out Marco and people respond polo and there's this whole idea that you're trying to touch people without seeing them, imagine playing Marco Polo by yourself. Like, Marco, it's just you. It's impossible. Uh, picture this. Imagine your favorite football team, the Detroit Lions. You laugh, maybe because it's not true. Uh, the Detroit Lions. Let's imagine for this one beautiful Sunday afternoon, uh, Matthew Stafford takes the field all by himself for the first play of the game. Can, can you just imagine with me for a moment what's going to happen to Matthew Stafford while he makes that first play? Uh, he might end up on a, a, a mat um, because he's going to get ran over. It's it's not going to go well for Matthew Stafford because. What he needs in that moment is he needs someone to hike the ball to him. He needs a line of defense to protect him and then he needs receivers to run so that he actually can move the ball down the field. It's a team effort that makes them successful and the same is true when it comes to our approach at sharing our faith. We all have to play our part. And I wonder, what's your part? Are you playing it? So the story continues. We pick up in verse four. So they believe what they've heard. They believed it couldn't be done alone or by themselves. And in verse four, it says this, and when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Man, the, fourth, the third point I wanna make to you is this. They believed nothing could stop them. I mean, not only do they believe what they've heard, not only do they believe it couldn't be done alone, but now it's, listen, we've gotten here and we're going to do this. The determination, the persistence that these guys have. And so they get to the door and let's talk about the team effort here. They get to the door. Well, there's people standing here and they're not moving. Hmm, we got any ideas, guys? Yeah, I got one. What's your idea? Let's go tear a hole in the roof. That's a good friend to have, guys. So that's a good idea. So they go up on the second level. Imagine these homes. They have like this outdoor second level porch. It's open air and it gives access to the roof because roofs are made of clay, sticks, and branches. And so they need to be tended to yearly. And so these guys go up on this porch. There's no one there. And they begin digging a hole in someone's roof. They don't know whose house this is. They begin digging. And, you know, when we read God's word, we sometimes think like, It's this moment, like, la, like it's holy and reverent. Let's put a little bit of reality to this today. So they begin digging a hole, which, because the roof's up, gravity has an effect. As they dig, dust starts falling in the house. Mud, clay, sticks, branches start falling. The crowd inside is listening to uh, Jesus teach, is engaged. And then all of a sudden, oh, man, I just got hit with a, a rock. And, oh, a branch just fell, like, what? What's happening? Like, is the house caving in? You know, like, they're getting distracted. And first it affects four or five people as dust falls. But as the hole gets bigger, light starts piercing through, which causes a distraction. Like, we see light coming through your roof. And they continue to dig this hole. And now everyone's affected. Like, they see this hole that's getting bigger and bigger. And they don't stop. They keep working. Even though they hear people say, hey, that's falling on me. Like, stop what you're... This ain't your house. You know, they keep doing it. Why? Why do they keep doing it? Because they believe. And belief always leads to action. And so they they keep digging. They keep making this hole bigger and bigger until a person on a mat will fit through it. And they begin doing the unthinkable. Very carefully, they begin lowering this man down through the roof. Like all of them, hey, working together. You can imagine the people have stopped. Jesus is not teaching anymore. There is a man coming through the, the ceiling. We're all watching what's going on, okay? So he, layers, he lowers them down right to the feet of Jesus. And just, just imagine for a moment the awkwardness of the situation. Like, this man's paralyzed, and he's just looking at Jesus like, hey, dude, good to see you. And these guys keep doing it until eventually he's sitting at the feet of Jesus, who's been teaching And I can only imagine these four men in the ceiling look down at Jesus and here's what they're thinking. Hey, Jesus, we've heard what you're capable of. So here he is. We've heard, we believe. Here he is. Listen to what Jesus says in verse five. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. There's two things here. He first of all says because of their faith. You know what faith is? Faith is when you believe what you've heard and it becomes action. When your belief, the thing that you've heard about Jesus to be true in your life and you move to action, that's faith. He says because of your faith, because you have believed, these four guys, because you believed and you took action, because of your faith, his sins are forgiven. Who are you believing Jesus for? And then Jesus does the amazing. He says, "Your sins are forgiven." But listen, these guys, I, I I really believe. I believe that these four men had no clue what just happened, and I believed in their spirit, deep down in their their soul, in the bottom of their heart. They were like, ah. We didn't bring him here to have his sins forgiven. We brought him here so that you would heal him. We want him to walk. We didn't bring him here for you to say, you're you're forgiven. But church, I want you to hear this. Jesus in this moment teaches us something very important. He cares far more about our heart than he does our condition. If Jesus in this moment would have simply chosen to heal this man of his paralysis and then sent him on on his way, he would have still left disconnected from God. But Jesus, in his amazing ways, recognized and chose to deal with that which separated him from God, his sin. And I want you to know this today. This is the greatest gift Jesus could have given him. And it really is it's the greatest gift that he can give us today, that he would choose to forgive us of our sin. He would choose to reconcile, to fix, to restore that which separates us from God. And when we believe this to be true, it's then we realize the importance, the necessity for us to begin to share our faith with others. And you're sitting here, you're going like, great, Chris, I, I believe that. I believe that I should. I believe that it's required. I believe that God is asking me to share my faith with others, but, but how? What do I do? And so I want to share three things. Three things that I believe will help you begin the process of sharing your faith with others, of being uh, present and being willing to, to share in someone's greatest time of need. So listen to this, the first thing I wanna bring you to. The first thing is this. We must begin. We must begin by looking for people's needs. We must begin looking for their needs. This is where it all starts, where it all begins. Think about this man who was paralyzed in Jesus the connection between the two meeting was not the four men who carried them. The connection was actually his need. It was his need that brought him to Jesus. If he was not paralyzed, there have been no need to carry him to Jesus. We have to begin looking for people's need. And I, I wonder today if any of you are here and you find yourself in need. You have a need that you've been trying to work through. You've been trying to fix. You've been trying to hide. You've been trying to live without. You've been trying to exist through whatever it may be. You have this need. And every day you're reminded of it. Every day it bothers you. Every day it consumes your thought process, whatever it may be. And you're just looking for someone to to ease it, to be the solution for it. And I tell you this, I believe that Jesus is the answer to your need. And I'd be interested to know if you'd be willing, maybe today, to choose Jesus instead of doing it on your own or trying to hide it or trying to fix it. You know, to have Jesus fulfill, to satisfy, to solve, to eradicate our need, it comes by believing in him. Simply choosing to acknowledge with your mouth, confessing that you've been doing it on your own and that you need him to forgive you of your sins, to forgive you of the thing that separates you from God and ask him to restore that connection by believing in him and then begin leading your life. It's it's that simple. And I would ask if you were interested in doing that today, would you pray with me? In fact, I'd love for everyone just to bow your heads. And if you find yourself here today and you're like, man, I have that need. I want to... I want to see it eradicated. I want to see Jesus meet it. Just pray this prayer. Take the words that I say and make them your own. Jesus, I need you. Please forgive me of my sin. The choices that I make every day that cause me to be farther from you, trying to do it on my own, trying to do it without you, please forgive me of that. Jesus, restore my relationship and my connection to God. Lead me today and forevermore. It's in your name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today with me, man, I would love to know. And would you would you do me a favor, our, this church a favor, and simply take out your connection card that you were given when you came in your program and in the a connection card. Simply. Just put a little bit of information on there. What's your name? A way that we can contact you and check the appropriate box that says, today I prayed to receive Jesus Christ for the first time, or today I renewed my commitment to Christ, because we would love to be the four friends to you. If you chose to follow Jesus today or to recommit your life to him, we would love to walk with you on this journey of following Jesus. And so the truth continues, We we must begin to look for people's needs. We must look for their needs. And needs are sometimes not easily exposed. We do live in a culture where people aren't quick to share what they're going through. They like to kind of keep that quiet or maybe reserved. I wanna give you some examples of things that could possibly be going on in people's lives around you that you would see, I bet they have a need in this area of their life. So listen to this. Um, Maybe you know some friends or family members who they just got a new job. Or maybe it's not a new job, maybe they just lost their job. They could have some needs that they're going through, that you could actually begin to find. Uh, Think about this, maybe you know someone whose kids are graduating from high school. Man, what they're going through are either two different emotions. They're either like so excited to kick their kids out of the house, uh, or they're really, really sad that they're about to lose one of their children because they're growing up. there could be a need there. In fact, they could be getting ready to pay for four years of college or five or six years of college, depending on your child. Um, they might need some, you know, some help in that. You know, there could be some needs there. Uh, what about marital problems or, or divorce? Maybe you overhear someone at the office sharing what's going on at home, that things aren't good. You know, there's, there's needs in that. Maybe, maybe you find out there's someone that's having a baby. Listen, if you wanna meet someone's world who's being rocked, Meet that first-time parent. Meet the person who's having their second or third or fourth or maybe fifth, sixth, seventh or whatever television show, maybe the 19th or 20th. (laughs) Meet that person and you'll find needs. Maybe they're going through financial stress or car troubles. Maybe someone you know has lost a family friend or a loved one. There's probably a need there. What about someone who's, maybe they're facing anxiety or depression. All these are signs or symptoms or events in people's lives where you could actually begin exploring. I mean, they might have a need here. And listen, when people begin to share with you their dreams, their desires, or their, or their fears, or their failures, or their hurts, when people begin to share these things with you, what they're doing is they're giving you access to their life. And listen to me closely. When we have access to their life, we must be willing to do the second thing. We must be willing to, to share. We've got to be willing to share. When we find the need, we've got to be able to look at them and and share. And and it's like, what do I share? Share where Jesus has met your need. You don't need some script or pamphlet. You you don't need to have all these things memorized. Scripture's always wonderful, but you need to be able to share. This is where I was, and this is where Jesus met me. Listen to what Paul says. Paul says, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. He says, and so it was with me, Paul, the guy who wrote most of the New Testament. Brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. In fact, I I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except two things, Jesus Christ and him crucified, Listen, Jesus Christ, who I believe is God's son and him crucified that by his death, burial and resurrection, I can be forgiven of sin. Two things he brought to them, nothing major, but, but two things. And I think that's the same for us. And he says in verse three, I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Listen, He didn't have it all put together. He he simply brought what He knew. Hey, listen, if you have a need, I believe I know the solution. It's Jesus. We must be willing to share. You know, I, I found myself in a U of M doctor's office two weeks ago, moving from Atlanta to here, we gotta get all new doctors, and um, we picked this doctor's office that's close to the house, and the, the unique thing about U of M doctors or practices is that they have students learning to be doctors, and so when I check in, um, I was asked, hey, Mr. Crutchley, would you mind if a student came in and did your you know, prelim evaluation? I'm like, sure, nobody don't. that's fine. So I'm sitting in waiting on the doctor, and a lady walks in, and she, you know, she's introducing herself, uh, thanking me for choosing the practice. And then she asked me this question that completely catches me off guard. She goes, Mr. Crutchley, what would you like for me to know about you today? Like messed me up. <laughs> My, I'm like, uh, you should know what you need to know about me. I told you why I was coming. I, you know, I, I told you why I ended, we're having this visit. And I, I stuttered and stumbled and it really just caught me off guard. And, and She eventually finished the exam and left, and I could not get over the fact of how I answered that question. I was so bummed at myself that she asked me, what would you like for me to know about you? And I couldn't get words out of my mouth. I'd ask you, what would you say if someone asked you that? What would you say if someone said, Mr. or Mrs., why do you believe in Jesus? I wrestle with this question all the time. Like, what's my response to that? Because I was raised in a Christian household? Because I believe the Bible? Because I went to seminary? Because I I studied God's word? Is that the reason why I believe? A few years ago, I, I I found myself face to face in a mirror. And the realization that I was having in the mirror was that I did not like the person I was becoming looking in the mirror, looking at myself, I'm like, I I just don't like who you're choosing to be. And see this, this, this circumstance happened after an event. I was hanging out with some family and friends and I was telling this story about some things happening in my life. And I remember as I'm telling the story, I began to exaggerate the story. I began telling some lies to make it better in certain areas and some things that weren't true that made me look a little better than I, I really am. And maybe it made me think, the way I really don't think. And I remember staring in that mirror saying, why did you do that, Chris? Why did you, why did you tell them? Or why did you talk to them? Why did you try to, to show them the person that you're creating rather than the person that you are? It was a, it was a, it was a moment of extreme tension in my life. Like I was... Creating this person, and I was letting the world see this person I was creating, but I was hiding the truth of who I was. I was studying in the book of Corinthians, it was actually in 2 Corinthians 12, and uh, Paul is writing here, and he says this in verse 9, and he says, But he said to me, speaking of Jesus, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul responds, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It was here I began to realize, listen, what I'm trying to do is hide my weaknesses, And that's the one thing where God says, listen, it's in your weaknesses that I actually am strong. So remember trying from that day forward, even to this day, to begin sharing the truth when people were listening to me. Hey, listen, I, I don't have it all together. I'm not perfect. I have some struggles, this is where I'm wrestling with some things, this is where God is molding and changing me, this is where I'm wrestling against some of the things that he's saying to me, this is where I'm growing and where I'm struggling. I begin to share these things with people when when they'd ask me about my belief or they'd ask me about who I was, I wanted to be honest with them and in my honesty, I began to see something happen. People stopped seeing me and they started seeing Jesus. You know, that doctor eventually came into the office that I was sitting in, along with the assistant or the medical student. And I don't know why, I believe it was God's redemption, but she asked me this same question. Mr. Crutchley, what would you like for me to know about you today? Deep breath and with boldness, I said, you know what? I would like for you to know that I'm a follower of Jesus, that my wife and my family, we moved here because we wanted people to know in Michigan, the hope of the gospel, that Jesus came, died, and lives again for us, that we may know the hope that he offers us. And man, when I said it to her in the motion of my eyes, she looked at me, oh, thank you. I I wish she clapped. She looked at me with a look on her face that said, well, why are you here today? (laughs) And she will never ask that question again. Uh, I mean, she's like, that was a dumb question. I'm not gonna ask anybody. No, but we have to be willing to share when people ask, when people share their needs. We've got to meet them in that moment. And we don't need to have some script. We don't need to have some memorized portion of things. We need to be able to say, this is why I believe in Jesus. This is what my need was. And this is what he did. It's Jesus Christ and him crucified. And listen, I will close today with this. One point and we'll be done. We, as a people, must become front yard people. <laughs> this is crazy, what does that mean? We are a culture of backyard people. In your mind, answer this question. Where do you put playgrounds? Your backyard, I'll answer it for you. Where, where do you put pools? Your backyard. Um, where, do you, where do you put trampolines? Your backyard, where do, where's your grill? probably on your backyard. (laughs) Where do you put fences around your backyard? We have become a backyard family society. I remember when I moved into a home in Atlanta, we were existing. We bought the house because of its backyard and its fence and its playground. I remember sitting back there one day and I remember thinking, me and Jamie, I'm like, you know what? I don't know any of our neighbors because we are back here so often. And it was then that I believe through the spirit I begin receiving some conviction that we must become front yard people. Because, you know, it's in our front yard that we see our neighbors pulling from a long day's work. It's in the front yard that we see them go to their mailbox. It's in our front yard that we see them mowing the grass. It's in our front yard that we see them put up pink or blue balloons because they just brought a new baby home. You know, it's in the front yard where life happens. It's where we see it exist. And the truth is that we must become a people who are present with those around us. We don't need to hide away in our backyard. We need to be present in our front yard. And that's true for our workplaces. We need to be present in our workplaces. We need to be present at our kids' sporting events. We need to be present at graduations and family reunions. and, And wherever we are, we need to be present. Because when we are present, we begin to hear the needs of people around us. And when we hear their need, if we're willing to speak into that need and share what Jesus has done in our life, I believe we will start seeing people follow Jesus. I believe then we are playing our part. And that's what it's about when it comes to sharing our faith, playing our part. Thanks so much for being here. You guys have been amazing. We look forward to seeing you next week. You guys are dismissed.